Hi, this is Rabbi Eric Levin. I am pleased to bring to you the book of Job, Eov, chapter 4, Perak Dalad. In the previous chapter, Eov conveyed an essential idea, which was he wants to die. In fact, he wishes he, that he had never been born rather than having to suffer what he is suffering at this time. While pondering death, he notes that the grave is the great equalizer. And I think that that gives him a sense of peace, knowing that everyone, rich or poor, or bereft like he is, takes nothing to the grave, that there all is quiet and at rest. There is no explicit complaint against God in the previous chapter, other than the implication that God was unfair to him, to, that he gave him life, if in the end, God only is going to cause him to suffer in that life. One might also come to the conclusion that Job is implicitly asserting his innocence, saying that there is no call for him to be suffering in this way. To this assertion, or to this hint, uh, Eliphaz the Tamanite, one of the three friends who have been sitting silently before Eov, visiting during his uh, mourning period and his suffering, responds. Va'ya'an Eliphaz ha-Temani va'yomar. Eliphaz's essential message in this chapter is as follows. God doesn't punish the innocent. The implication is that if Eov is suffering, there must be a reason for it. He calls on Eov to look at the situation objectively, to look at it in the way that Eov used to look at it when he, Eov, was sitting in judgment and advising others in their own trials and tribulations. From this, we discover that Eov was a judge, possibly a ruler of a city or even a city-state. Eliphaz begins by requesting, but really demanding, permission to tell Job, to tell Eov what he thinks. Hanisa davar ilecha tilev atzur if one tries some words out on you, i.e. some advice and some explanation to you, will you become weary, i.e. will you be able to, will you be unable to handle it? But who can stop the words from coming? There is a double entendre here, something more sinister to which Eliphaz is hinting. Rather than Eliphaz referring to himself as trying out some words of advice, he may be saying that God has sent an event, a davar, to test Hanisa. Nisa et Eov, and that Eov has failed the test. Now, from the second part of the sentence, it is clear that the first interpretation, let me, Eliphaz, try some words out on you, is the primary meaning. But the alternate meaning, which is, oh God, try something out on you and you fail, is it simply cannot be ignored, especially in the light of Eliphaz's continued use of double entendres, as we shall see. Indeed, you yourself have instructed Yisarta many, you have instructed many, and you have supported many a weak hand. And again, there's this double meaning. On one hand, Eliphaz is comforting Eov, explaining to him that he's a good guy, that he has always been considerate and supportive and educational to the, that is ready to educate the weak and the needy in their time of need. But the word Yisarta may mean, in addition to educate, it may mean to discipline or to punish like Yisurim, and that Eov is getting, what he's saying is that Eov is getting a taste of his own medicine. Again, the second meaning lurks behind the primary contextual meaning of the words. Koshel your own words have supported the stumbled, and you have given strength to bent knees. The word amet here is really closer to the meaning of strong rather than brave, which is how is it, how is it, how it is used in, in modern Hebrew. As I said, Eliphaz is pointing out that Eov was many a time in the reverse situation, where Eov gave advice, instruction, and discipline, 
discipline to those suffering, much as Eov is suffering now. So Eliphaz may be suggesting that Eov look at his own plight with that perspective, as if he was the one judging rather than the one um, under, in trouble. And as such, he is surprised. With all that Eov was always in the role of advising the suffering people and helping them out, he says, So now that it comes to you, it comes all this bad stuff comes your way, you can't handle it, i.e. you can't handle the affliction, and you go into shock, it's a bit of a slap in the face as Eliphaz advises Eov to take his own medicine. And now Eliphaz seems to be telling Eov that his faith in and fear of God will save him. Isn't it true that your awe, i.e. of God, your piety is your confidence, and it, that is your piety, is what you can rely on. It is a guide for you to behave in an exemplary way, for a straight way. But underneath lies another clue to the unpleasantness, to the duplicity of Eliphaz. It explains why Eov is so aggravated when Eliphaz is finished quote-unquote comforting him. And the key of that double meaning is in the word kessel, which um, on one hand means confidence, so that's how I translate it based on the juxtaposition with the word tikvatcha. The tikvatcha means the hope that you could rely on, and therefore kislatecha at face value means um, your confidence, your ability to maintain in the, in the face of all this plight. But the word kessel, as you're probably familiar, is also comes from the fat that covers up and obscures the heart, which was thought to be a center of thinking or of wisdom. So kessel means foolishness also. That is, it has another meaning, which is foolishness. A kasil is a fool. The double entendre is that you, Eov, instead of the word yirat cham meaning awe, that is, your, your awe is your, is, is, your room, is your place for confidence, your awe of God, your fear of God, it could mean that your fear, not of God, but fear of what is happening to you, is directing you away from God. It's causing you to speak and to think foolishly as you did in your previous speech, or as Eliphaz is accusing him of speaking, or hinting that he spoke that way in his previous speech in chapter 3. With this understanding, the next part that we're about to read can convey two meanings. On one hand, Eliphaz may be saying that since only the wicked are punished, you, Eov, should not have to worry about anything. But on the other hand, Eliphaz is saying that since as an axiom, God doesn't punish the guiltless, and fact number two, you, Eov, are being punished, ipso facto, you must not be so guiltless, and therefore all your words asking for death and, and hinting at your innocence are in fact foolish. In fact, that the, the very words themselves may be the cause part of your sin. Remember now, that is to say, you tell me when an innocent person perished and when was the last time a just person was destroyed. The question is clearly rhetoric as Eliphaz wishes to drive home his point. What I see, says Eliphaz, is that those who sow evil, those who plan suffering, they harvest them, i.e., you reap what you sow. And the implication is, is that if you, Eov, are reaping it now, you must have sown it before. They are, that is, these wicked, 
will be, either they are now or they will be destroyed by the breath of God, and finished off by his anger, literally the exhale of his, of his nostrils, but it means his, his anger, metaphorically. Up to now, the imagery is that the evil are like poor farmers, and when I mean poor farmers, I don't mean poor as in money. I mean poor as in they, they do a bad job and therefore they harvest the same badness that they sowed. They got what they deserved. And then they're actually metaphorized as these evil people and then metaphorized as the plants themselves which were sown, which are cut down by the hot wind of God's justice. And now Eliphaz compares the wicked to a stronger type who nevertheless are also taken down by God. Whether the roaring of a lion or the voice of a panther, like the teeth of lion cubs, they are uprooted, or the teeth of lion cubs are uprooted, which means it doesn't make a difference how, how, how uh, loud you roar, uh, God's going to take care of it. He's not impressed by that kind of roaring. And there's two hints here, which is, well, actually, before I get to the two, again, these two underlying, very devious kind of insults that Eliphaz is throwing at Eov, I have to admit in the translation that I'm really not sure there's a difference between an Aryeh and a Shachal or a Kfir, although Kfir does seem to indicate a young lion. But nonetheless, I threw in a panther uh, because I wanted to give some variation to the English, just like the Hebrew is varied. So I'll toss in various lion types as we go along, but uh, the truth is it's hard to say the, the difference. I'm not sure today we know the difference between uh, all these different lion types. Nata, the word Shineik Kfir, uh, Kfirim nitau nata perhaps is from the word taa to go astray, or perhaps in from context it means that the teeth are pulled out or the predatory lion-like sinners get their punishments, their just punishments from God. Laish oved me bili taref uvne lavi it paradu. The puma is lost without finding its prey, and the children of the cougar crumble. And again, I apologize for the random lion variants. Now, the metaphor. That uh, of the puma seems to be that God destroys the sinners before they can get their hands on the prey. Before they even get a chance to do what they're going to do, God takes care of them. But I think Eov, as I said, is hinting to two really quite nasty things. The first one was in the previous verse, he talks about the lion's roar. And that hits back to the idea that Eov is saying, you know, how dare you open up your mouth to God. It's not so much the sins that are bad, but how dare one uh, accuse God of being unjust. And that that itself is a sin worthy of punishment, even though it's circular reasoning. But there's a second hint here, which is really, really kind of cruddy on, on Eliphaz's part, when he talks about the Vnei Lavid Paradu, the children of the cougar crumble. And I think what he's referring to here by the children of the cougar is uh, Eov's children, who, if you remember, died in the, in the, in the first chapter. If that's so, besides being really nasty, he's saying that in fact they were destroyed because of their sins. Now we of course know better because we witnessed that first heavenly scene in which their deaths come as a test of Job's, uh, of Job's faithfulness. Uh, Eliphaz and Job himself are not into that first scene. They were not aware of God and the Satan's uh, uh, little game, uh, if you will, or the metaphoric game. So Eov is simply saying, I didn't do anything wrong. And Eliphaz says, oh, you must have. And if the kids died, they must have died too as well. And now from verse 12 to verse 16, Eliphaz is going to back up his assertions about how God works by saying that he learned 
his knowledge through a heavenly revelation, a prophecy or some kind of transcendental moment. People always like to back up their own assertions by giving them the force of being rooted in some unarguable source. So we will see that each of the three friends has a unique source upon which he argues that his logic is inarguably and inescapably true. For Eliphaz, his knowledge comes from the beyond. Since Eliphaz asserted that only the wicked suffer, and Eov has admitted to no wickedness at all. So Eov will explain that in, well, I'm sorry, so Eliphaz will explain that in comparison to God, everyone has flaws and everyone has sins, and therefore that justifies God's affliction of Eov, perhaps whether he, Eov, he himself, Eov, knew about them or not. That is built into the very system of man is sin. And to me, a message was stolen, and my ears perceived part of it. This is this transcendental, uh, almost prophetic experience that Eliphaz is claiming to have had. With my thoughts drawn from night vision and, and as unconsciousness overcomes man, that is man with a capital M, capital M, that mankind with Anashim. Fear and trembling happened on me and most of my limbs or bones quaked with fear. He, he's really actually quite kind of over the top, Eliphaz is. And a spirit crossed over me and my hair stood up straight on my flesh. The word masmer means uh, nails, so that's my hair stood up like straight, like it was nailed into my skin. It's a very beautiful image, or an evocative image, I should say. And it, i.e. the spirit that was going to tell me these secrets, these upcoming secrets, stood... I did not recognize its appearance, some kind of form before my eyes, a silence and a voice I heard. It's interesting, that idea of silence and a voice at the same time. And this, of course, is similar to Elijah, Eliyahu's experience on Har Chorev, on, on Mount Sinai, where he hears a kol daka, razor-sharp sound of silence. Eliphaz is saying that he saw the truth, with a capital T, in a prophecy or some kind of transcendental experience, and and this is what he was told. Do you think in comparison to man that man that in comparison to God that man could be righteous? Can a person be purer than his creator? What Eliphaz is saying is that only God is faultless. Since you, Eov, are not God, you must have a fault. And if you have a fault, then there is justification for your suffering. Eliphaz continues with this thought. Indeed, with even with his servants, i.e. the angels, he places no trust. And he makes fools of his angels. The word halal or Hilul, or uh, Yeholal, uh, uh, comes, means foolishness, not as it does, in, that, that is, as it's used in Kohelet, when it says, Holilut v'sichlut, again, that word uh, Kesel and Sechel, meaning foolishness, and Holel, meaning foolishness. And this is different from the Hey Lamed Lamed Halel verse, which means to praise, that comes up in Tehillim a lot. Um, it's just an equivocal word, which can have two two meanings. So this definitely means, uh, that he makes a fools of his angels. The sense is that even supernatural creatures, <clears throat> excuse me, are imperfect as God in fact intended them to be. He created them to be. So, af shochne vate chomer asher ba'afar yisodam yitakum lefneash. So how much more so those who live in physical houses, i.e. man in his mortal flesh, <clears throat> who in their essence are dust, 
whom he, God, causes to decompose before moths, lifnei ash. Man, i.e. man who ultimately turns back to the dust from which he was created, as Job himself said in chapter 3, um, how much can you expect them to be uh, as perfect as God? Clearly they are even more imperfect than the angels who are imperfect, and therefore there's plenty of imperfection to go around. The word lifne, lifne ash here, uh, doesn't mean prior to, like uh, from a time point, but it means uh, sort of like the sentence, I yield before his logic, that man crumbles before uh, the worms that eat him up when he dies. Mi boker la erev yukatu mi bulime siyema, from morning to evening, I, mankind is lost. Or perhaps before they make an impression, they are eternally lost. It depends on whether you say the word lanetzach applies to the word mesim, uh, or whether it applies to the word yovedu. Isn't it true that their tent pegs are uprooted from them? They die without ever achieving wisdom. Eliphaz maintains that the very fleetingness and fragility uh, the fragile nature of man demonstrates his lack of mastery, and his lack of mastery, his lack of chokhmah, of true knowledge of everything, guarantees that he will surely sin. And taking the logic further, if he surely has sins, then he surely deserves what God dishes out. And Eov is no better, if no worse, than any other sinful man. Eliphaz has more to say in the next chapter, which we will get to, God willing, tomorrow. But the question is, is Eliphaz right? Is man inherently sinful because he can never be as perfect as God? Does lack of perfection equal sin? As we will see, Eov rejects this answer, and in a few, ans- in a few chapters, after Eov has to say, he will castigate his friends and say, if I sin, then show me the sin. And if I didn't sin, if you can't show me the sin, then uh, you know what they say, Shut up, put up or shut up.